0: You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. And good morning and welcome to America's Web Radio. You're listening to David's Pick on America's Web Radio. And we'd like to, uh, as we've been doing for the last couple of months, start this off by thinking of our veterans that are either sick or Needing prayer—that's the bottom line—and if you'd go to our website, we'd appreciate it and look at uh, look at uh, J. Roy Ritchie Memorial. J. Roy is a very close friend of mine, and we decided to start a memorial. with with a veteran prayer line. And if you have a veteran or you are a veteran or you know of a veteran that needs prayer, just send their names in to us and we'll be glad to mention them on one of our next shows. We we also need uh, veterans to uh, uh, give us a list if you'll volunteer to uh, pray for your brothers and sisters that served and need prayer now in some way or the other, um, they would appreciate it. And we have over 2.1 million veterans in the U.S., so that's a lot. And if we can get a portion of you folks that will will say just a moment of prayer, and uh, we're going to take this time before we introduce our guest to uh, think about those people, our veterans that are sick are having a problem of some sort that need prayer. So if uh, we will, we'll just take a moment and about a minute, and we'll do it right now. Amen. Many of you know that, uh, and I generally don't get political on this show, but I have to because one of the candidates running on the Democratic ticket in Georgia for a Senate seat has made the statement that God and the military don't go together. And I know very few veterans, in fact, I couldn't name one that isn't, a very good Christian and, and are, belongs to a synagogue or, you know, that believes in God. And uh, I don't believe there's, I don't know, there may be one out there, but uh, if anything, God goes with the military. And we've had some great chaplains on. We've had people that have told incredible stories that uh, – veterans that have told incredible stories that they felt like god was right next to them and and uh there there are many uh, veterans that will admit to uh, getting religion in the foxhole and uh as the odds were against them there was divine intervention so i hope everybody in georgia that's listening will vote and vote against Anybody that calls himself a reverend and says that God and the military don't go together. That's baloney. With that being said, we're gonna start with uh what we always start with and uh Okay, that's enough of that, Jody. But we all love Jody's, and uh, I know in my case it uh, helped me get that last quarter of a mile or eighth of a mile when we were doing a force march or double time or whatever, and uh, somebody breaks into a Jody or our platoon sergeant or our, or our uh, lieutenant, but, you know, would break into a Jody, and, and it was just always good. So with that being said, our special guest today is john newport good morning john good morning and uh we've got john on the camera and you can see him and and uh he's a good looking one and i stay off the camera because i've i've heard of uh, threats that i may break it so i just stay away from the camera so tell us a little bit about your service john well <clears throat>
1: i just go back to i was born and raised in st louis missouri and uh, I've always, I guess I was probably 11 or 12 years old when I decided I want to be a Marine. <clears throat> and uh, when I was a senior in high school, prior to graduation, I enlisted in the Marine Corps 120 day delay program. And uh, upon graduation, uh, well, shortly after graduation, I went to boot camp in San Diego, <clears throat> went through the uh, infantry train regiment at Camp Pendleton, following boot camp. And then uh, that was about the time that Castro it was 1959 December, was rattling his sword, and so they transferred a whole bunch of us to uh, Camp union, First, the Second Marine Division, and I wound up in uh, Charlie Company, First Battalion, Second Marines, and uh, I did a med cruise with them, uh, landing force Mediterranean, and we did a number of amphibious landings, just like you saw in World War Two down the nets and hit the beach and that kind of thing and then uh, I mean I got 20 years so I'll just hit the highlighted spots but um, I've had uh, assignments here in Atlanta when I first uh, after I left the vision and uh, from there I retrained in aviation and uh, went for my first overseas tour in August of 64 I was in Japan at the Naval Air Station we had a Marine fighter group there. Uh, we had uh, two F-8 squadrons, one F-4 squadron. And uh, in December, I was selected, for want of a better word, <laughs> with the Marine Corps captain. I, I didn't know they selected. I thought they told. <laughs> yeah. Well, I with the Marine Corps captain, and we went to Okinawa on temporary additional duties as part of Marine liaison team to augment the headquarters staff of the 9th Marine Expeditionary Brigade, which was forming in Okinawa. And, uh, uh, as a young sergeant, um, I was pretty low on a totem pole. As far as, uh, rank goes, I did a lot of different things. Uh, but, uh, I went to work for Lieutenant Colonel, worked directly for Lieutenant Colonel Joe Muir, who later won the Navy Cross in Vietnam was killed. But, uh, but we formed the 9th Expedition Brigade in March 8, 1965. We landed at Da Nang. And uh, we were very, obviously we were very inexperienced in, in combat. We had some senior NCOs from Korea that were still with us, senior officers from Korea that still with us. So it was a very interesting, uh, very interesting time. And uh, at that time, we were just there to defend the air base at Da Nang. We had two reinforced Marine battalions with us, infantry battalions. One was to stay in the airfield, protect perimeter. The other battalion moved up to Hill 327 in that area, which is known as Freedom Hill, outside of Da Nang. And it didn't take long for General Green to commandant at that time. To uh, requests from General Westmoreland and told him the Marines did not go on did not play defense and we wanted to go on offense and shortly thereafter we did and I stayed there um, I say I was temporary additional duty from the wing First Marine Air Wing so once the three three MAF Marine Amphibious Force and General Walt took over 9th Expeditionary Brigade um, my work was done so to speak for that time and I was transferred back up to Japan, uh, to Marine Corps Air Station Iwakuni, Japan. And I was with a uh, KC 138 squadron. And we eventually moved down to Fatima, Okinawa, so we could be closer to the action in Vietnam. And uh, I came home in November of 65. Uh, and uh, from there, I went to Marine Corps Air Station Cherry Point, North Carolina was there for about um, 18 months and joined a renal weather attack squadron, A6As, there. And uh, we went into a training cycle to be deployed to Vietnam. Um, And uh, I did a training cycle with them and went into what they call a transpac. In other words, we fly aircraft across the Pacific and wind up in Vietnam. But I got orders ahead of time. I got orders ahead of time and uh, wound up going back to uh, going back to Vietnam on individual orders, and wound up at Lai which was about fifty clicks south of uh, Da Nang. And uh, there, um, I was staff sergeant then, and I was the operations chief of the squadron. And we were right our we had in our squadron uh, group Mag twelve Marine Aircraft Group twelve we had. Four A four squadrons, one A six squadron, and our sister squadron Mag thirteen was right across from us, and that was a Phantom F four squadron, F four squadrons. But one of the additional duties I had was they made me the ground defense platoon sergeant. We were right at the end of the runway, right by the bomb dump, and we had some interesting times down there because uh, the B.C. operated in that area, Viet Cong area operated in that area, and they wanted nothing better to get to our planes. (laughs) Uh, By that time, the 1st Marine Division, 1st Marines Regiment of the 1st Marine Division had left and turned over the security to the Miracal Division. Um, And as Marines, that made us a little nervous. But anyway, uh, we, uh, like I said, the BC on on a number of occasions, uh, you know, we had constant, not constant, but Frequent mortar attacks, rocket attacks,
0: things of that nature. And wow. How many claymores did you set? Pardon me? How many claymores did you set? We didn't have a whole lot of claymores where we
1: were because the Miracal was right up the road from us. There mm. was like a, a road leading out of the bomb dump to the perimeter. So that most of the claymores, all the claymores actually, were outside of the Miracal line. But uh, I remember one time in particular that uh, we were getting hit. And we were in. I was in a bunker with my, uh, platoon, platoon leader, and uh, we got a radio call that the BC had come t- had gone through the wire, and we're heading our direction, and they had a flatbed truck with four fifty cals on it, quad fifty is what mm-hmm. they called it, and they turned that thing around and started firing in our direction, and if you're on the end, other end of fifty cals, it's not a pleasant no. situation. <laughs> And uh, But we ref- we got on the radar real quick and had them ceasefire, but the, the B.C. did not make it to our airplanes. We took care of them. But that's the, that's the type of things that happened there uh, at Chulai. And then I uh, left Chulai in June of, uh, July of 69, came back home, um, went to Marine Corps Station, helicopter, New River, North Carolina, and really the next... <laughs> Nine years of my career was spent in the helicopter community. Um, I became the uh, instructor for the aerial Gunnery School for crew chiefs and aerial Gunners for the CH-43, 46 helicopter, and CH-53 helicopters. And uh, one very interesting tour I had when I came back from Vietnam, I was in the Marine Helicopter Squadron 365, And we were in a uh, Caribbean Ready Force aboard LPH USS Guam, as of June of 1970, and it had a very large, devastating earthquake in uh, Peru, wound up killing 70,000 people. So we were tasked to uh, get back aboard ship immediately, and we took on all kinds of American press and hospital, American Red Cross, International Red Cross, and sailed to the Panama Canal. And uh, that was interesting. We actually had to cut off part of our gun turrets hmm. for the for the ship to fit through the locks hmm. and when we got down there and it was like almost two weeks after the initial earthquake and we anchored off the coast of Chimbote peru and uh, when we anchored dropped anchor, we could actually aftershocks would come up right through the anchor chain and shake that lph. But we flew medevacs down there for two weeks and uh we had a the first marine corps hel- helicopter composite squadron which ten ch-46 the 453s and two Hueys. but we did not li- <coughs> we did not have any accidents and we went into landing zones one of them was twenty two thousand feet those mountains down there get pretty high yeah so we were it was devastating for the people but we were able to take them a lot of supplies and of course by that time, it was it was not a search and rescue; it was search and recovery. So we came back home after um, two or three weeks down there. But uh, and then I I wound up going on my last overseas tour to Japan, Okinawa, and, and retired from the Corps in nineteen seventy nine.
0: And I, you know, I would like to get into uh, what you're doing, you have been doing, and uh, what you're doing today. I, I find it. Very interesting, and in many ways, along with what we do, to a degree, a small degree. We don't do anything like you do uh, other than honoring our veterans. And so you want to tell us a bit about that? The Missing in America? Yes, sir. A
1: Missing in America Project is a national organization, which I got involved in uh, about two years ago. Um, I don't even recall how I got involved in it or how I contacted the Georgia coordinator, Dan Poirier, an Air Force veteran. Anyway, he came to speak at our Marine Corps attachment meeting. But basically what we do is we locate, identify, and verify, and hopefully interred veterans with full military honors. Now, these are cremains that have been uh, unclaimed remains some of them have been sitting I don't want to say shelves because that's not really right but they've been sitting in funeral homes for years the first group that we discovered was six World War II veterans wow. all of them uh, this is in the Atlanta area um, some of them have been on claim for 20 years and we brought <coughs> we have to go through a certain process to legality and what we do is once we identify them, uh, we have we submit our paperwork to the uh, National uh, Graves Registration uh, to verify they were, in fact, veterans. Sometimes we only have so Social Security number. Sometimes we actually have a service number. Uh, and we have, have death certificates. And then they come back and verify they were, in fact, in the military, and sometimes they tell us what awards, and sometimes they tell us when they actually served. Well, these were all World War II veterans. Once we get the identification back that they verify they were veterans, then we have to send out a notice to the last known next of kin, which after 20 years is, you know, that's a challenge in itself. But it's what we have to do. And then if we don't get any answer back, then we run an ad in the local newspaper for that area with our intentions to uh, inter those veterans at Georgia National Cemetery. And if we don't hear anything from 30 days, then we go ahead and proceed. And this was was in November of 2019, and it was really, really impressive. The folks at Dignity, which is a brand name, but Dignity Funeral People, were just incredible. And uh, out of the uh, Dignity Funeral Home on Roswell Road, on cell. I'm sorry, um, we uh, started ceremony and uh, we had uh, four ambulances, each carrying uh, one urn. Oh, we had six ambulances, each carrying one urn. We had police escorts. Um, it was very, very well uh, advertised. And we had radio, TV stations. I've never done TV interviews, but I did then. Um, And we had American Legion involved um, as escorts. It was just really, really incredible send-off. And as we left the Mansell Road location, the funeral home there, uh, we drove up towards the cemetery, uh, up 92, to Woodstock. People were lining the road, and it was bitter cold. People lined the road with American flags, cheering us on. It was, I, I, I left a little ahead of time because I, I had to be up there at the cemetery. But it was incredibly heartwarming. We hit Woodstock. I've never seen so many people turn out for an event alongside the road wow. with the American flags. That is beautiful. It was, it was incredible when we got up to the cemetery and we probably had about 500 people up there. If you're familiar with the cemetery up there, they have what they call a little amphitheater, which is kind of misnomer. It's a curved wall where they hold all the various ceremonies up there and uh we had the uh squire high school air force rtc color guard and each veteran and uh pgr was involved parachute guard riders were involved in transferring the the urns from the hearses to tables we had set up and uh i was kind of dmc and uh we do, went through uh, what the uh, we have a chaplain, uh, f- former Air Force veteran who is our chaplain. I uh, went through what we call you know a script, if you will, to uh, the religious part of the service, and then um, after that we had the uh, the uh, my Marine Corps ceremony rifle team was up on a hill. We had seven rifles up there. And they fired three volleys of fire in honor of those veterans, followed by Taps. And then the Army was there, and to fold each flag, unfold each flag, and then refold it, just like the one you have on your desk. And we presented it to a farmer—not uh, a farmer, but a Gold Star Mother—to symbolize all seven veterans. And then, found the ceremony, uh, formal ceremony. We went to the colibarium and actually placed them. And each one of them in a separate receptacle. And now that's that was. And of course, COVID hit the spring, and we kind of had to stop things. But now we're back again, and we've got uh, 15 veterans we're looking at to verify now.
0: A couple of questions uh, after the service that you just mentioned: uh, Was there a dry eye left? No was It was
1: it was the coldest year, coldest day of 2019. It was November day after Veterans Day, and uh, it was so cold up there, but didn't stop anybody from lining the roads. Didn't stop anybody to come up to the cemetery. Uh, no, to answer your question, no, it was not, Including me, it was not a dry eye there for sure. You know,
0: you asked a minute ago why. Why do we do this? And uh, I always ask one really tough question, and uh, I like to see the veterans' response to my question because this is why we do the show. Uh, John, can you name one veteran that you know that can tell one story, only one story? Now I bet you know a bunch of veterans that you get them started, and they'll tell as many stories as you'll sit there and listen to. But can you can you name one veteran that can only tell one story?
1: No, that's that's no such thing, and they <laughs> get better with each telling
0: too. That's right, yeah. and and with each beer. But beyond that, um, no. And and this is this is why I do the show is that, and we do a couple of veterans. Uh, do you know? Uh, uh, Pete Mecca, he does a show called A Veteran's Story, and um, you know, we we live in a generation right now, a time that, and if you want to really get me mad and and started, is that uh, we've tried to rewrite history, and we can't. History is history, and what you experienced, and what many others have experienced has to be remembered and we're trying to do our part by listening to stories and we also encourage folks to uh if it's a grandfather or, or just a son returning or whatever but whoever you happen to be man woman whatever and you're a veteran get that grandkid or get your kids or whoever up on your up on your lap and tell them about what you did and let them be able in 20, 30 years to say, well, my dad or my grandfather told me about this. And we have to keep our military and our veterans' stories alive. And I think it's one of the most important things that we can do.
1: And just to, I'd be remiss if I didn't ride right along the line of honoring our veterans, as that's what we found our ceremonial Rifle Team and our Rinko League Attachment Uh, right on our jackets it says it's our duty Uh, we believe that every veteran uh, deserves to be buried with honors full military honors and the problem is is that the law specifies that every veteran will be buried by his branch of service and they will send two individuals two flag holders of which one can be, be a bugler to play taps but beyond that full military honors but include rifle honors as part of it. And that's why we formed our ceremonial rifle team because we do believe it's our duty to ensure every veteran is buried with full military honors whenever possible. And uh, we are proud to do that.
0: That, That's wonderful. And, uh, you know, and again, that's one reason that we're doing this show and would like to have you back at some point down the road to there are there's so many families of veterans that don't know the benefits that are out there and available to them, and I personally am, and obviously you feel this way, but whether no matter how you served, and I, I think one of the greatest things that president trump did was sign the blue water bill Um, Mm -hmm. you know this was for years the democrats had kept our navy and our coast guard and some marines if they were on board if they don't didn't put boots on the ground in vietnam if they were sprayed by agent orange they got no benefits and finally president trump signed a bill, the blue water bill that gives anyone that has been exposed to Agent Orange whether you had boots on the ground or not, boots on the ship and you got sprayed President Trump gave those veterans the benefits they deserve and, uh, and I again I'll mention that any quote unquote reverend supposedly reverend that would be a protege of Reverend Wright in Alabama and then make the comment that God and the military can't be together is not my kind of candidate. And I don't mind telling you, and uh, please go out and vote and vote for Kelly and David. They are the ones that will make a difference, and this is a very important election. I'm sorry to politicize, but I I, uh, feel very strongly about this, and they're the ones that will take care of veterans and people that hate the Army, hate the military, like our previous administration did. We just can't. One of the saddest things I ever saw was I went to Hawaii, and I've told this story a number of times when my son was stationed there. And he took us, you know, took us on base, and on the flight line, on the tarmac, there was plane after plane after plane, 105s basically, but, you know, they were just sitting there. I said, well, you know, what are all those? Well, they're being cannibalized so we can continue to fly mm-hmm. some. Yep. And And talking about it crying, I just... This is our country is the greatest country in the world, and our military is the greatest military in the world. And if you haven't served, you've missed out on the biggest and best fraternity and our sorority in the world, and that's our military. Absolutely, and, and the people that are in it that have kept us free, and like Alan West will say, and all others, freedom is not free and you know be careful about what we're going into right now it's it's a very scary situation anyway i'm sorry to get off let's uh, let's talk more about the how do people find out about you all well it's <coughs> uh, first of all um
1: we've been around now for two and a half years uh the National cemetery uh just go back real quick the when a service member dies and they go to the family goes to the funeral home to arrange for uh honors in this case obviously if it's a veteran and then the funeral director um they tell the funeral director they would like military honors regardless of the branch of service then he in turn has responsibility to notify that that branch of service and request military honors and <clears throat> once that's done, uh, then unfortunately, the funeral directors not it's not their their fault, so to speak. Are just not aware that rifle honors are part of it, or if they do know, they think it may be just reserved for retirees. And with the Marine Corps, that's absolutely not the case. Um, anyway, the, the family request honors are when they go to the national cemetery. To arrange for actual burial the uh, George Nash Cemetery will call us and our will, will tell the next of kin to call the Marine Corps League and they will provide rifle honors if the branch service cannot and, uh, and, a lot of, and that's how we wind up doing a lot of them um, a lot of funeral directors we know uh, know who we are we've had articles in newspaper, local newspapers in Cherokee County Um, the uh, land Journal constitution going back to the Miss America project and when we buried all those folks on November 19 they came to my home Jeremy can't remember his name really really good reporter for journal constitution came my home and interviewed me and did it came out and watched us actually perform uh, our honors augmenting whatever it was that day a rifle on us, three volleys of fire and uh, did great articles on the front page of the Land drone Constitution on our, our rifle team. So that got us a lot of very favorable uh, coverage. So, and it's uh, that's how we get notified. And like I say, we, yesterday we completed our 375th mission, which we call for interments or burials. Um, and I rain or shine and uh, we're there and we travel all over the state of Georgia probably 95% of our missions are done at Georgia National Cemetery but we will travel anywhere to honor a veteran and to make sure that he or she receives his final honors
0: thank you you know I've said this and and I'll ask you the question Um, I I guess I'm just uh, a I don't know what I am, but anytime, just like you talking about it, anytime the word or the words color guard are mentioned, uh, the hairs on the back of my neck stand up, or whatever. I just, I, you know, if I if I'm watching a football game and there's a color guard, and uh, I'll stand up. Uh, I just, uh, to me, the showing of the the displaying of the colors is one of the most fantastic things that the United States has and does. And I, uh, I've often said I don't know what I'll do if the situation ever arises that I see somebody destroying our flag and are not showing it the respect that it should. And certainly... Uh, in a burial ceremony um, that guy or girl that man or woman served that flag and served it honorably and gave the ultimate and they should get the ultimate
1: absolutely and that's and when we we have numerous people we, obviously we can't provide rife honors for every funeral but the ones we know about that we, we can most likely but uh, Numerous people next of kin have come up to us or followed up with correspondence, email, whatever, saying that the rifle honors when we fire three volleys of fire with seven rifles. Really, really, really made the honor that's so much better. And uh, we also present uh, three spent cartridges to next of kin, one for each volley of fire, along with a certificate and remembrance. And that veterans honor and uh but uh, it's,
0: it's we're just proud to be part of it uh, that's absolutely beautiful and uh i i'm sure the person that you're honoring is looking down and very appreciative and and you know that's what everybody raises their hand for uh, that they will give the ultimate sacrifice true um and we have i I gotta mention that uh the show is also brought to you by the georgia military veterans hall of fame and uh rick white's the director of paul longry was the one that came up with it and uh, Rick White is the director of it, and it's downtown. It's right across the street from the capitol building and If you want to meet one of the nicest guys in the world, you meet Rick white, Colonel Rick white retired, and uh, he is the gentleman's gentleman and if you're if you're down at the uh, Hall of Fame and Rick happens to be there, you happen to meet him, you have just met one of the greatest guys going, and uh, he's He's a veteran, served, uh, I think, two tours, and uh, you know, but he's just a fine gentleman honoring and helping honor all of our veterans from Georgia. And uh, I believe you've been nominated. I have been, yes. And I don't uh, believe
1: I belong there, but yes, I've been nominated. Well, but Rick White, just say a quick word about Rick White and echo all your sentiments. Uh, every year the Marine Corps has their birthday on November 10th and we celebrate it big time the Marine Corps birthday. And uh, two sure. years... you got to use that, s-
0: that sword for something. <laughs>
1: yes, that's right. And, Saber, I should say. Two years ago, we invited Rick White, Colonel White, to be our guest sponsor, guest speaker at our birthday ball. And just like you said, tremendous guy. And uh, uh, it was our honor to have him.
0: Well, you know, the truth be known... It just can't beat veterans. And one of the things that upsets me the most, or or one, that uh, one out of four homeless are veterans. One out of four street folks or whatever that are homeless and going through winters and rain and all of it are veterans, and that shouldn't be. Uh, I don't know how to change it, but it's it's a crime. Just a quick
1: mention on that. Um, Jim Lindemeyer, who is the coordinator for homeless veterans in Cherokee County, uh, when I first started, when I when I was commandant of our detachment, and Jim came along and uh, just really took over that that position. There was no position until then. And he's done an incredible job with homeless veterans. But every January, uh, we have, uh, I guess it's health and human services, uh, we have a homeless veteran count in January where our veterans organizations church organizations um, we go into the woods in Cherokee County well all over the United States but we as Cher- Cherokee County veterans we go into the woods looking for homeless veterans and uh, uh, we try to get uh, find them uh, find out if they're uh, have ever applied for benefits and um, uh, Jim has done a great job at, in some cases giving temporary housing uh, you know it just uh, but just like you said it's it's so sad that those who served our country are living in the woods under some cardboard or newspapers at this time of year especially or any time really but obviously cold weather um, and that, that count supposedly goes up the chain at some point in time will come back as some type of uh, benefits for those homeless, whether it's housing, health care, if it's VA, of course, health care, things of that nature. So, uh,
0: there's, there's so many out there. You know, and again, to get political, as I've done this show and talked to veterans, many, many veterans, I've realized more and more that we've made a mistake in Congress of having people that have never worn the boots making decisions for those that sacrifice their life to keep us free and uh, i i could almost get sick in front of you thinking about somebody making up rules of engagement that have never been fired at you know and i just you know, are telling us what kind of weapon you can use and what kind of weapon you can't use and someday it's going to come back to haunt them and someday and hopefully you'll get out please get out and vote for Kelly Loeffler and David Perdue we can't let two socialists into our and basically they'll take over our at that point we'll have taken over our country uh, if you have all three branches wanting socialism and the left we just can't have it and it'll affect all of us and if you're a democrat you can vote for a republican just as well as i can because you can't let these two people in that are running please vote for kelly Loeffler and david Perdue. the other two are nothing more than crooks so I'm sorry John that's the, that's my opinion which is also the radio station's opinion because I own the radio station so say what I want to anyway back to uh, not only finding you but how is uh, like you said it's not really quote unquote the funeral director's position to say but do they in general ask is this person a veteran
1: um I don't know the answer to that question. The field directors I know in the local area up there who have worked with before on different, different uh, causes and everything do. They absolutely do. Um, but we have, uh, to answer your question, uh, I would think that would be one of the very first questions they would ask as a veteran. Um, and the, civilian, the civilian folks, they don't know what. You talked a while ago about what benefits they don't know. I mean, th- their uh, their veteran may have only been. I don't want to say only. Their veteran may have served two years, three years, four years. Nonetheless, they're veterans. They raise the right hand, um, but they don't know uh, exactly what they're supposed to do. And hopefully, that funeral director say, "Was well, he a veteran?" And then that at that point, that gets everything rolling to make sure they have honors.
0: Um, you know. That- <laughs> If, and a lot of folks have never gone through the process of being in charge of getting one of their relatives or friends or whatever buried even and veteran or no veteran that's difficult enough unto sure. itself and uh, they certainly then you get into the veteran situation and uh, and uh, you get into a uh, Paperwork situation—you have to prove this and prove that—and and, and um, it can be very challenging to say, put it nicely.
1: And check one thing. Yes, sir. Every veteran uh, after 1950 receives a DD-214. Right. Upon their release from active duty, or just Unless
0: you're a, unless you're you were a reservist, and then it's a DD-256, I believe. Yeah.
1: But. <clears throat> When it comes time to bury that veteran, talk about going through the paperwork. If you don't have that DD-214, you are not going to get buried in a national cemetery. You're not going to get buried with honors. Uh, case in point, we just did one last week um, where the the son called me, uh, funeral home, directed him to me uh, about getting military honors. All they had was his father's ID card, Marine Corps ID card. And that's all they had. And of course the Marine Corps, headquarters Marine Corps is not gonna issue orders, Tasker, to bury anybody unless they can prove it. So we had a social security number off of there and other documents. And uh, after working with the Missing America, Graves Registration Administration and um, I gave him that telephone number, the son. He called them and yes, they identified his father as a Marine Corps veteran, told him when he served but they could not issue any kind of uh, correspondence, emails, to Corps, Marine Corps. But they gave him a number of the veterans administration. Within 45 minutes, the veterans administration came through with the dates he served. And, yes, he served honorably. And we buried him with full military honors last Tuesday. Wow. But it's so important um, to have that dd 14 And they recommend that you go to the courthouse when you get out. And have that uh, put on file there, but you know, it just like you said, there's enough grief within the family to, for their their uh, veteran. The last thing they they need is a bunch of hassle to go look for things. So it's so important that DD two fourteen be available.
0: John, let me ask you. Uh, I, I've kept thinking about this as you've been talking and and so forth. Our technology today must have jumped you all leaps and bounds with the DNA testing and what you can do today that you couldn't have done 20 years ago really or 30 years ago and uh, the technology like I said must have jumped you ahead twenty, ten, fifteen, twenty 10, 15, 20 years mm-hmm. in proving who somebody was. Right. And uh, do you all work well obviously you work with the funeral home but uh, how does that how does that process work
1: with the funeral home basically um, it, it just starts like I said when the family comes into the funeral home at some point in time now sometimes I can't speak for everyone but I know Marines, the Marine next to kin are very proud of their Marine veteran, deceased Marine veteran that's just the way it is And uh, I'm sure that they will uh, ask for honors, or if it's you know if if the family like hasn't uh, he was served in Korea, he or she served during Korea era or something along that line. The family maybe forgot about it. And funeral directors I know, and I work with a lot of them, they will ask is it was he or she a veteran. Once that starts, let's take a Marine Corps. Veteran who's deceased. Once that starts, the funeral director has a regular form. He can go online, or he can call Harkins Marine Corps, the casualty section, and request military honors. They, they, Harkins Marine Corps casualty section will request a DD 214, or a honorable discharge certificate, or a veteran's uh, certification letter, and once that's determined. Uh, he or she does in fact deserve military honors then uh, in in our local case Headquarters Marine Corps will notify uh, combat logistic regiments funeral coordinator for the Marine Corps with the official tasker and then from there they will provide the military honors
0: How many cases annually do you all handle or or in general not not just what you do but in general the How many do we do? Well, yeah, or how many? uh, You know, I know we're losing a thousand, uh, Uh, a thousand plus World War II veterans daily, uh, but in in general, in a year, how many uh, requests will you all handle?
1: Well, I say we've done three hundred seventy-five missions, we call them interments or burials, since May of two thousand seventeen. So that's, what, 100 a year. But, I mean, that is nowhere even close to the number of veterans that we're losing. Um, And it's, uh, you know, I I don't know how you can keep track of that. Um, I mean, I see figures all the time that uh, uh, World War II veterans are just about gone. Korean veterans are going out there. and. Found out that we Vietnam veterans are getting there too. Oh yeah! But how many we do a year? I don't. I don't know exactly. Maybe a hundred a year. Sometimes we do two, three, four, five a week. Other times we are not doing them for two weeks. And again, and again, the thing is that the civilians, the next to kin, those folks that are left behind, don't know that they have benefits to be buried with honors. And uh, and that's a challenge for us. And we just finished, myself and my number two guy, back home, just finished a letter to all local funeral home, just how exactly to apply for military honors. Hopefully that's going to generate them. But uh, up at National Cemetery, uh, George National Cemetery, you can go online and see just, just 10 funerals, 10 internments a day. It's not unusual at all. So... Get back to your original question, how many a year? I don't know how many burials have a year. If we just, I guess we do the math, uh, 10 a day for uh, five days a week, that's what, 52 weeks times 10. So uh, that's maybe a,
0: 520 or something.
1: Yeah, that may an interactive figure. I don't know, but just, I think it's it's close. And of course, just multiply out times in our national cemeteries there are. And then there's other folks who are not buried at George National. We do. We go to private cemeteries. We go to funeral homes. We go outside a funeral home to fire three hours of fire. So there's that that group also that, uh, for whatever reason, choose not to be buried at National Cemetery.
0: Again, I want to take a quick break to just remind everybody that um, we do please go to our website and look at the J. Roy Ritchie Memorial Prayer Line. It's for you. It's for you veterans that need a special prayer, a special mention on the air. And also I want to remind everybody that the Georgia Military Veterans Hall of Fame is just absolutely, you got to go. It's in the Floyd Building right across the street from the state capitol. Take a day, take your kids, and explain to them what what it's all about. And people that have loved their country and given their lives for their country over many, many years. Uh, again, Rick White does an outstanding job. And I also want to mention the Johns Creek Veterans. Association. Uh, Mike Mazell is the president of it, and they have the Healing Wall in Newtown Park. That was the the replica of the Vietnam Wall in Washington D.C. that traveled all over the country, and it has a permanent home now in Newtown Park in Johns Creek, Georgia. And if you're coming into Atlanta or you live in Atlanta, and you have a loved one or a friend or you know of someone that died in Vietnam there are 58,000 names on that wall and you can find them uh there will be building a, a kiosk that will have a computer in it that will give you the exact location but you know it's still worth going to and it's uh so many veterans have had closure by going to the wall and uh looking up their friends, uh, the guys that they knew. Let me ask you, John, you you had a, a career in the military, so would, would you say some of your best friends ever were military?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. You heard Turner Band of Brothers, and regardless military branch, I can't speak for all of them, but every, every military, member, military member who's ever served it becomes a band of brothers, especially in Ranko. We pride ourselves on that. Um, absolutely, it's a, it's a very select group. Although there's numbers in the millions of those who served, uh, it's, a, it's just an honor to be among that, among those veterans.
0: And uh, as you mentioned uh, earlier about some of your deployment, um, I've started really. Relating to and relating our military to our first responders. We are the first responders of the world in everything that we do, be it in our first responders, fire departments, medics, uh, uh, EMTs, you name it. Uh, We are the best, and on a national basis, we are the best from the standpoint of the military being able to help either. Covering our own backs, or when another country needs something, like you mentioned Peru, um, we we go in. We're the first in, and no other country in the world can say that. I don't believe. I totally agree. Totally agree. And uh, <laughs> we are because we have the greatest people in the world, and I, I. I was number 12 in the lottery, so, uh, and I I was very fortunate when I was uh, going through basic and AIT. Both platoons that I was in were made up of all college graduates. And uh, I think the volunteer military is the greatest thing going. I'd hate to see us go back to a, a draft situation or even a lottery. I like the volunteer because that person that does volunteer and raises their hand, they are the sincerest people in the world. Absolutely. I, mean, it's,
1: I totally agree. I would never want to see us go back to the draft. But when we got young men and women who we'll stand up and raise their hand and swear allegiance to this country uh,
0: and are proud to do so. Yes, sir. And uh, some of these... Uh, Folks that are raising hell today and terrorists and all this stuff, uh, they should be so lucky as to be accepted in the military. Um, they have no clue. They have no clue about our country and what all of it means. And what? And you know, the military's not just one package. It's a bunch of packages. And I always mention that. Right now, if you're graduating from high school or college or you haven't made up your mind exactly what you want to do, look at the military. It is the greatest occupation in the world now. And some place, some branch has exactly what you're wanting to do. Anything from being a diver to flying, you name it, the military has something to offer you. I can't tell you which branch it's in necessarily, but I can guarantee that one of the branches has something that you're in, electronics, anything. Uh, you can find your place, and once you come out of the military, whether you decide to career it or just want to stay in two years or three years or whatever, once you come out of the military, you've got the greatest resume in the world. And no company would turn you down if you went to get a job.
1: I think it has to do with the leadership that you learn in the military. Yes, sir. That transfers yes, to civilian world. And that, just what you said on your resume, to me, that is the biggest thing, the yes. leadership
0: that comes with being a member of our military. Yes, sir. Couldn't agree with you more. And, you know... We've got to take care of our military and protect them. Uh, we're going to be uh, having to leave here pretty soon, and uh, we've got a uh, couple of minutes to go. But, uh, John, it's been a pleasure having you on, and as, as I mentioned, will you come back and uh, keep telling the civilians and family members what's available to their veteran? Absolutely. When they pass away.
1: absolutely i really appreciate john and uh, honoring me with this and i want to thank you for what you do
0: for our veterans for sure well thank you um it's i can't imagine doing it in any other country or any place any place else uh, it's just it's it, it, you know we're so lucky we're so fortunate and so blessed to live in the United States and be been born here, and anybody that can't salute our country um, should move.
1: And as as military member, we have the opportunity to. Uh, I I was served around the world, but if anyone in a military goes to another country, they will be more and more grateful to come back home.
0: Oh yeah, oh yeah. Well, with that being said, we're going to have to bail out of here. And, uh, again, thank you, John Newport, for coming in, and we will have you back. Thank you very much. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.